chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. And I'll read these um, verses again. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Crave pure spiritual milk. I would like first to uh, have a few words of introduction and then to look at Peter's concern. Peter's a, a lovely person. He's concerned for the flock of God. He's got a concern here, and uh, we want to look at that. And then we want to look at his remedy uh, for that concern. And then finally, to look at the, the main challenge that's here. It's a big challenge, serious challenge uh, for us. Who's Peter writing to? He's writing to God's elect, to the chosen people of God who are scattered. That is, get out of where they were because of persecution, and they're scattered throughout modern-day Turkey. They've experienced a new birth. That's what he said in chapter 1. They've experienced a new birth, and they've got a living hope. Does that describe you? Can you say you've got a, a new birth that God has given you? A, a new birth, that's what we have here in, in chapter 1, in verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope. What's keeping you going? What brought you here tonight? This, this hope. And it's a hope that was born out of a fact, a historical fact. Christianity is built on facts. The fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That brought change into the lives of these people, great change into the lives of these people, change their perspective. And he says that uh, they were born again by the living and enduring Word of God. I think Mark already referred to that. That's what he says in chapter 1. You who have been born again by the living and enduring Word of God. Right? It was the Word of God who brought this change into them. It's a Word that stands forever, and it's a Word that's preached to you. Verse 25 of the previous chapter. Verse 25, the Word that is preached to you. Just like us tonight, we've got the Word, and you have the Word preached to you every week. So these words are applicable to us as well as to those original people who received this letter from the Apostle Peter. So let's look now at the concern that Peter has. He is concerned. He's a real pastor. He loves the flock of God. But he's, he's got a concern, and the concern is this, it seems to me. They're not growing 
spiritually as they ought to grow. They're not growing spiritually. They were like sheep that's gone astray, actually, he said in verse 25. And just as the word that was preached to them brought life to them, so that same word can make them grow. That's his message. That same word can make them grow. And his concern is, his desire is, that you may grow up, verse 2 in our chapter 2, that you may grow up. He's wanting them to grow. He's not content that they have merely professed conversion. He's not content that they've said, we're the Lord's, we believe. He says, I want to see you grow. I want to see you grow where there's life. There's growth. Where there's life, there's growth. Being born again is the beginning of something. It's the beginning of something. Paul wrote to the Philippians, and that God who began a good work will continue it. But we know from the rest of Scripture, there's those who can profess and begin to fall away. And he didn't want that to happen to his people. He doesn't want that to happen. Now, he's emphasizing the development of faith. The development of faith. Could it add to our faith? That's why we asked that you read chapter, the second letter, we had to write another letter, Peter did, to the same people, and, and he said, now you've got to add to your faith. I don't see you're adding to your faith. He's got a big part there about adding to your faith. Conversion is the beginning of a life of service to God. And if we're not growing, we need to question the fact, is this their life? If you plant a sapling and it doesn't show growth, you're worried. It hasn't taken root. Isn't that right? There's such a thing as stony ground hearers that Jesus reminds us about. Those who believe for a while. For a while. Then they get cheesed off. It's not doing them anything because they don't actually have that life, that living hope, that wonderful thing that's got so much promise and, and future pers- potential. We're going to heaven. We've got a tremendous future. Jesus talked of those who believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. And in fact, that's a very solemn parable, which, which, um, which troubles me, really, because four, or rather three out of the four groups that are mentioned there didn't make it. Didn't make it. There were those who, the stony ground hearers, there were those who were 
planted among the thorns, the seed that was planted among the thorns, and, and so on. And it was just the one-third, fourth group who produced the fruit. So Peter here, he's, he, he wants to see fruit. He wants to see growth among his flock. And what he's doing is really doing a reality check. Any institution that doesn't do a reality check is going to get into trouble sooner or later. We've got to really examine ourselves. We really need to do any, a reality check. And that's what he's asking his people here to do. Is, is there a reality are you really, truly one of the Lord's, and are you growing? If there's growth, there's life. But if there's no growth, it's worrying. So at the beginning of a new year, I asked myself, well, how are you doing, Donald? Compared to last year, how are you doing? How are you doing compared to five years ago? Are you more godly? Are you a better Christian? Have you crucified more of those sins that keep back the blessing of God in your life? A reality check. How are you doing? God's calendar, the beginning of a year. You know, at the beginning of a year, is God saying, look, another year's gone. You have a year more you've had, and a year less you've had. Now, where are you destined for? How are you doing? How are you going? And that's, that's what Peter is doing, doing here. Planting seeds that become acorns. The Word of God talks about God's people who are matured. They're oaks of righteousness. There was an acorn at one time, but they're now oaks. The planting of the Lord. You see, Peter says in verse 7, um, it seems that he, he says in verse 7, Now, to you who believe... Why did he say to you who believe? Why are you not saying now to you? Um, is Jesus precious or whatever it is he says? This stone is precious to you. But he said, you who believe. He may well have been suggesting there's among them those who don't believe. To you who believe. Why did he say you who believe? Did you not all believe? Did you not say they were among the elect? Did you not say they were among the people of God. Well, you see, there is among the people of God those who make a profession but are not really, they don't stick it out because they don't have his life. They don't have this seed of God. They don't have this Holy Spirit that makes everything so wonderful and great. And that's why he says, I urge you in verse 11 then, as aliens and strangers in the world that you abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. And I think if we're honest, when we go back into the world as we are now, we've had our celebrations <clears throat> and uh, we're going back to work or to college or whatever and um, we might have a struggle there, a struggle as we juggle between the world and the church to live a consistent Christian life. Isn't easy you need grace. You need God's strength. You need the Holy Spirit. Don't we? I certainly do. And that's why he says, now live such good lives among the pagans. You've got to be different. You've got to, you're living among pagans. Show the difference between Christians and others. 
Show the difference. By living a good life, a godly life, a holy life. And we're saying this to Christians. He's not talking to the world. He's talking to those in the church, isn't he? And we constantly need to have this reality check. And beginning of a new year, I think it's, it's a good time. When Paul's second letter he wrote to them, he's even more serious in that letter, Second Peter. And he tells them, now, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. Wow. What's he saying there? Be all the more eager to make your calling and the election sure. There was an apathy among these believers, and there is an apathy among believers that can be unhealthy. A presumption that all is well. And of course, Jesus reminds us of that, doesn't he? You see, we take our cue from God's word and from Christ's example. And, and Jesus, Jesus said this, Lord, there'll be those, Lord, Lord, there'll be those who come to me and they'll say, Lord, Lord, we've done many wonderful things in your name. But he says, I don't know you. I don't know you as mine. I haven't heard your voice. We haven't had fellowship, have we? Have we had fellowship together? So a reality check is necessary. You see, you can be converted in a night, in a moment, in a split second, you can be converted. You can't be holy in the night. That's a process. He which began a good work will continue it to the end. It takes a long time to become holy, doesn't it? Are you more holy? Am I more holy than we were a year ago? Ten years ago? This is this growth that Peter is talking about. Well, there's Bible talks of trees planted by the river where it's, it's nourished from the water there. Talks about the remnant that takes root downward and bears fruit upward. Well, so that's, that's, that's Peter's concern. Let's look now what he is the remedy. I just realized I haven't put this thing on. That's okay, isn't it? Paul's remedy for growth, well, it's twofold. It's got the negative side and the positive side. The negative side. As in nature, the human body, the, the life is in the blood, isn't it? Life is in the blood. And if you're an nurse or doctor, you'll know, you'll know that. And it's a good analogy there because the blood has two main properties, white cells and red cells. And the white cells, their function is to fight off alien, foreign bodies. It fights off what shouldn't be there. The red cells, their function is to give life. To give life. It's not good at fighting. It's good at producing life. If you don't have enough white cells in your blood... You get leukemia. 
foreign bodies have come in and there wasn't a resistance to it. And there's some Christians, you know, they, they're not fighting heresy, they're not fighting, there's churches, they don't fight heresy. But there needs to be life as well. It's not just, you haven't just got to be good at fighting off alien bodies. You've got to have life. The chump churches die. And they're as strict as can be. They're as strict as can be. But they've got no life. They haven't got the red cells. You need red cells to give you life. And you need the white cells to fight off all the heresies and all the things that shouldn't be there. And that's why Paul, that's why Peter, he says, now rid yourself of all these things that I see and hear and that's in our lives. All malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slagging off your neighbor, speaking behind people's back, being deceitful, being jealous. Get rid of that. That's ruining your soul. That's a canker. That's a cancer eating into your spiritual life and killing the spiritual life. Get rid of that. We need the white cells in our lives to fight off all that's wrong. There are things that can destroy us. It's like gardening. We need to root out the weeds because the weeds take all the nourishment from the ground that the, the, the true tree needs. I look at my life and I see how much my time is taken up with and energy and talents with things that are not really useful for spiritual growth. Some people come to my congregation and they, they, they're not there some days and they say they're too tired. We ask, what are you doing Saturday night? Are you too tired for Sunday? Where's your priorities? Where's your priorities? Sunday's the day God's given to us for, for himself. Used to be a day in our United Kingdom when Saturday would be a day preparing for Sunday. I was brought up like that. Saturday was a day preparing so that you could be really enjoy Sunday if you were a Christian. And Peter, of course, as most of the epistles, the writers, talks of human relationships. A good index of your spirituality and of mine is how are we getting on with people? Are we good relationships with people? I mean, malice, you need someone else to be horrible to. Deceit, envy, slanders against sins, against people. So human relationships. How are we functioning in our work, in our neighborhood, in our family, with our husband, with our wife, with our children, with our parents? What kind of relationship do we have? Get rid of all those things that spoil, that spoil relationships. Well, negatively, get rid of these things. There's things that Peter's telling the church you know, these things shouldn't be as prominent in your life as they seem to be. <clears throat> Positively, he says, oh, crave pure spiritual milk. Crave it. Desire it. Go for it. Drink it. 
feed on it. And crave is in the imperative mood. It's not a statement. It's an urgent command. It's an urgent command. Crave it. Now, a lot of translations have crave pure spiritual milk of the word. Milk of the word. The word is the real milk. The word of God. A soul like a child must be fed. And a child needs milk. And a spiritual child needs the word of God. And it's to feed on the word of God as we've been hearing already and praying for this evening. When the writer to the Hebrews rebuked the Christian Jews for their slowness in learning, he said, this time you ought to have been teachers. You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word, of God's word. You want to need it all over again. You need milk, not solid food. And we need more of God's word. We need more of God's word. We need to be feeding and constantly going to the word. And of course, Christ Jesus is the word as well. God's word is the basic food of the soul. It's like milk to a baby. It has all the basic vitamins necessary for life and skill to fight off all the evils that surround us. Paul had the same sort of worry and concern when he wrote to the Corinthians, didn't he? He said, I couldn't address you. He didn't mince his words, did he? I couldn't address you, he said, it's spiritual. But it's worldly. It's worldly. As mere infants in Christ, I gave you milk because solid food, you're not ready for it. You're not ready for it. You're like a baby. It doesn't have teeth to get into anything else but drinking milk. So milk is the basic diet. Milk is what we need to be fed on. And built up on, and once we take milk, we'll want other things. And milk will not satisfy a baby for long. If it's taking it in, it'll want something more solid. Of course, he was able to say that they were in Christ, and that's, that is wonderful. <clears throat> well, and let's look finally at the main challenge of these verses, the main challenge of, of these verses that are here. You know, what Peter is actually saying here is not just telling them to crave the word. He's actually saying, look, if you've tasted it, you'll want more. What a challenge. If you have tasted it, you'll want more of it. You'll crave it. You'll desire it. If you've got a taste of Christ, you'll want more of him. And that's a tremendous truth. If you've had a taste of Christ, you'll want more Christ. Now that you've tasted, now that you've tasted that the Lord is good, craves poor pills of milk. That's really what he's saying. Having got a taste, you'll want more. It's natural for Christians to want more of Jesus Christ once they have tasted him. To you who believe, to you who've tasted, 
this stone is precious. Jesus becomes more and more precious. And as we get rid of all the things that the world offer, and as we don't find that, Christ becomes more precious and more glorious. So, just finally, how can you crave for something you don't like? How can you love something you hate? Perhaps you're here tonight, I don't know, I'm sure there's not many of you anyway, I'm sure uh, who, 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 not many of you who, who would say that they hated Christ, don't want Christ. But I mean, how, how can you love what you don't like? How can someone love mathematics if they don't like it? How can you love doing the garden if you don't like gardening? How can you love ironing if you don't like ironing? What's Peter doing here? He's telling people to love something they don't like if they don't like it. What's, what's the answer to that? Well, it's just one answer. There's just one answer. If you don't want to be a Christian, if you don't want to be a Christian, if you don't want Christ, you must ask God to make you want him. Because it's God that makes everyone who has come to Christ want him. If you don't want Christ, ask God to make you love him, to make you want him, Asking him to open your eyes to see how lovely and suitable he really is for you. It's only God that can change you, really. It's only God that can give you a new heart and this living hope and can bring you to a new life, a new birth. Ask God to change your affections. To make you love what you don't love and that you should love. And to hate what you don't hate that you should hate. God can do it. He's in the business of changing people. Radically. That's his business. Changing people's affections. And he's, he listens to prayers. When someone really prays, God is moved, moved. This morning we, we were preaching on Hezekiah, on um, Manasseh. What a wicked person he was. You read Second Chronicles 33. Second Chronicles 33. See what a wicked person Manasseh was. And yet he went to pray. And God was moved. God was moved by his entreaty. He said, forgive me, change me. And he did. And he's still in that business of changing people's hearts and desires. Well, may God bless that word. Let's just read these verses. Therefore, rid yourself of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander, slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good.
And may God bless his, his word to us. Let's have a few words of prayer. Lord, we ask you to bless us tonight and to give us this desire, more and more of a desire for Christ, that he would be more and more precious to us and that we would be able to serve him and to worship him. Lord, we thank you for, for this church. We thank you for the gospel that is proclaimed here faithfully every week without fail. Your word is proclaimed. Follow with a blessing. May great things happen here, even greater than happened in past history. For we know what's happened in this building, Lord, before. Great things that's, that's been known throughout the world and may even greater yet happen. You have the power, you have the glory. Thank you for the faithful people here, Lord. Thank you for, for everything here. And we, we pray, Lord, that 2010 would be, be a wonderful year for everyone here and for this city and for our beloved land. Have mercy on our beloved land. And so be with us now, Lord, we pray, and help us to, to sing in conclusion for Jesus' sake.